listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. and welcome to episode 21 of the podcast. How are you all doing this week? Is life getting back to normal for you or some resemblance of normal? Um, Things are still pretty much the same here, I have to say. Still working at home, still kind of staying pretty isolated, actually. It feels like we're in a really weird in-between time and I'm not quite sure what to make of that. We're being told you can go out and do more things, but coronavirus cases are still quite high and it still feels like there is a bit of a a risk out there, but the onus is perhaps more on us to make that judgment call rather than being told what to do by the government or by health services. And that can feel quite unsettling. It also has reminded me quite a bit of how I felt last year in terms of after, you know, after your baby dies and you kind of have this initial grief period and then things start getting back to, in inverted commas, normal. So, you know, if you're a dad, you may be going back to work. People kind of don't message you every day to see how you are. people aren't thinking about you or about your baby as much which is you know perfectly natural because people have their own lives to live but I felt that that actually is one of the hardest parts is it's just that reminder that the world is changing and the world is still going on despite this awful thing that you've been through and although it's a much lesser grief I think that, you know, this period of lockdown has caused, you know, huge turmoil for a lot of people. And that actually this kind of adjustment phase and this sort of getting back to normal, particularly as it's so prolonged, is, I don't know, maybe in some ways more difficult than lockdown itself. I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever, but that's kind of how how I've been feeling a bit at the moment. And I guess, you know, that must be exacerbated, particularly if you've had a loss or you've lost your child during this period of lockdown. And I guess perhaps in some ways it's it's good to be able to see people again, but maybe it's another reminder of the way the world is turning and going on around us. But I would love to hear how you're feeling at the moment and, you know, what your experience of this kind of transition phase is like. I also wanted to just mention quickly um, a research update that Tommy's have issued. So Tommy's, if you don't know, are a charity in the UK who specialise in research into pregnancy complications, stillbirth, miscarriage, um, other forms of of baby loss and premature birth and they do loads of fantastic work and I feel like it's probably not shouted about enough so I'm going to shout about it today. (laughs) So they posted two updates on their website and I will link to this in the show notes so you can read the full the full text but the first update was around improving preeclampsia diagnosis 
Um, so preeclampsia affects up to 6% of pregnancies in the UK. And what Tommies have been looking at is ways to rule in preeclampsia instead of the current process where there's a blood test to rule it out when um, certain hormone levels pass a certain point. And their scientists analysed plasma samples from over 300 pregnant women with suspected preeclampsia and were able to predict their diagnosis about half the time. Um, and they, they just recently published their results. Um, so that sounds like a good move forward in terms of being able to identify women who need extra support during pregnancy because they're at higher risk of preeclampsia. Um, and they've also done some specific work on the problem of diagnosing preeclampsia for women who have kidney problems who are much more likely to develop that condition. Interestingly, um, and I've I've kind of heard something on this before, so I was quite interested about this. Um, they've also been researching on whether MRI can be used to check the health of the placenta during pregnancy and linked to that to spot preeclampsia developing. Um, so I think that's still in kind of the early stage, and obviously MRI scanning isn't always available, um, but it's just another tool in the toolbox for doctors to use. And the second piece of research which they've announced some updates on is around understanding premature birth. And um, this is this is also quite interesting. So one of the professors has been looking at whether detailed scans of unborn babies' lungs can be used to tell if they will be very preterm. So that's class between 28 and 32 weeks, which is obviously quite a high you know, a very high risk category um, in terms of babies being born at that stage. Um, and he's done a small study which found that the lungs of babies who were born very preterm couldn't hold as much air as they should, regardless of whether the mother's waters had broken, which suggests that something happens in pregnancy to cause this. So I think, and I'm obviously, I'm by no means an expert on this, but from talking to a couple of mums who've had premature babies, um, I think that what is is considered at the moment is that um, the more the mother's waters breaking have something to do with, I guess, activating the baby's lungs to help them um, be able to breathe. Whereas this study, which is only small, but suggests that perhaps there is that there's another factor at play in there, and that maybe if we do some more research on that in the future, then there's something that you can do to kind of preempt and uh, mitigate that factor. So that's quite exciting. And then the final thing again around premature birth is around um, an app which I've never heard of, but apparently it can accurately predict the risk of premature birth for single pregnancies, but also for twins, um, which again is um, a massive thing really. So I think there's some sort of fairly fairly simple um, test that could be quite easily sort of put into standard practice Um for women who are expecting twins to identify whether they are likely to be at risk of premature birth. Um, And that can be helpful, obviously, not just 
in terms of increased monitoring and, and taking extra care of those women, but also for women who perhaps aren't at risk, um, may avoid some of that worry, concern, long hospital stays, etc. Um, if they can, you know, carry their babies to nearer full term. So I don't know if that's interesting or not. I found it interesting. So I wanted to share it um, with you. And I will include a link so you can find out more about that if you're interested in any of those. So today I have an interview with Elle Howe for you. Elle, um, Elle's daughter, Georgia, um, was stillborn at full term in August last year. Um, and we had a lovely conversation about... Um, about making memories with Georgia and the amazing support they got from friends and family in the weeks following Georgia's death and particularly at her funeral. Um, and I feel like, you know, perhaps for a lot of us, we have funerals for our babies and, and you kind of feel like, well, do I invite people? Do I not invite people who, you know, who would want to come to the funeral of a dead baby? Um, so it was really nice, the, the support that Elle and her partner got um, during that time. And also we talked about her son, Benedict, how she broke the news to him and some of the ways he remembers his sister and talks about his sister, which is which is really lovely. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Um, and yeah, if you do, please do share it with your friends. Today, I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by Elle Howe, whose daughter Georgia was stillborn in August last year. Welcome to the podcast, Elle. And would you like to start by introducing yourself and your family? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Elle. I live in Leeds with my partner, Adam. We have two children, um, Benedict, who is four, and Georgia, who, like you say, she was um, stillborn last year at 40 weeks and five days. And how old's Benedict? Oh, he's four, four, did you say? Yeah, just he was four in March. And did you have any experience or much awareness of baby loss before you lost Georgia last year? Um, not per well, I did I'd had a, an early miscarriage um before I had Benedict um at six weeks. So I'd had that experience. Um, later on, sort of later losses, I'd not really had that much awareness or knowledge of it. Um, I followed like Kicks Count on social media. I had a wristband. I had an app on my phone. So I knew all about kind of monitoring movement and things like that. Um, and I'd had, I have a couple of friends who have experienced baby loss, um, but nothing that had necessarily touched me as much that makes sense yeah so I guess you were kind of aware that it existed but perhaps it hopefully it didn't negatively impact on your sort of pregnancy with Georgia up until up until the end obviously no no I mean the pregnancy itself was straightforward and uh yeah all no worries <laughs> yeah so all normal tick the 12 week scan tick the 20 week scan and yeah you were all getting sorted. I guess you had everything ready at home, nursery and everything sorted. Did you know you were expecting a girl? We didn't, no, no. We hadn't found out with Benedict, so we didn't find out with Georgia either. I was a bit tempted, but my, my partner was 
was quite stubborn. Yeah. He said, no, let's wait. So <laughs> did you did you have any kind of mother's intuition with it? Not really, no. Um, up until the day that we found out that she'd died. Mm. Um, and at that point, I said to Adam, I said, I think it's a little girl. Mm. But I don't know where that came from. But uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. So, um, so you're already nice pregnancy. Benedict's presumably looking forward to having a little brother or sister to bring home. At what point in your pregnancy did things start to go wrong? Um, it was, well, my, my due date was the 5th of August, which was a Monday. Um, I'd had my midwife appointment the next day. So on the Tuesday, everything was fine. Um, she offered me a sweep, but I turned it down because I was quite happy to wait. Um, and then on the Wednesday, I went to bed as normal, feeling lots of lovely kicks um, and movement. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I think something might happen tomorrow. I don't know why I thought that, but it just popped into my head. Um, and then I woke up on the Thursday morning. And just that morning, I thought, I haven't felt anything for, for a little you know, since I've woken up mm-hmm. and normally she was quite active in the morning. Um, so I thought, no worries. Um, I'll, you know, I got up, had a shower, had breakfast. Um, my mum came to pick Benedict up because they were, they were going out for the day. Um, and, and then I, I still hadn't really felt anything. So I said to Adam, I said, I'm going to call um, the maternity assessment. And they just said, come, come in and, and we'll check you over. But I was still not that worried at that point. I still thought, you know, she's got to 40 weeks, you know, just waiting, really. I I didn't have any concerns that really. Mm. And I guess you'd, and you'd, if you had the sort of kicks count app and braces and stuff, so you had been kind of monitoring and been aware of her kind of movements all through your your pregnancy then. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was one, I had one trip to the MAC before. Um, I think that was about 32 weeks um, when I hadn't necessarily felt much movement but the minute I got there they put the Doppler on and started kicking it off and everything was fine so um, I I knew and and the midwives have been quite um, that they they mention it every appointment you know really really be be aware of kicks and movement and how important it was so yeah I was hyper aware of it on top of it yeah yeah (laughs) So what happened then when you, so you went into the hospital to the um, maternity assessment centre on that day? Well, I, I actually got to see the same midwife I'd seen the time I'd gone in before, um, which was quite nice, seeing a familiar face. Um, and she obviously got the Doppler on. And initially she said, I've got your baby. I've got your baby's heartbeat. And I thought, oh, okay. But then she realised, she said, actually, no, sorry, that, that's yours. Um, and so we were just sort of waiting longer and longer. She kept moving it around and all the things you say, you know, it must just be a, in a funny position and, mm-hmm. you know. I'll, just a bit low today. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I remember like, I was lying on that bed and um, it was a silly thing, but we'd been to a festival a couple of weeks before and I painted my toenails. And I just remember lying on the bed looking at my feet <laughs> as she had the doctor on me. <laughs> and it just felt so surreal, like from a different a different time um and we were waiting and waiting and eventually she said that she was struggling and um I heard one of the other nurses say do you need a scan and she said yes so 
took us straight through for a for a scan. Um, and yeah, a couple more people came in into the room, and the sonographer was, put, you know, was was scanning. And I think at this point I knew it wasn't good news, but I kept just hoping, praying. And then eventually she just said those words: "said I'm sorry, mm-hmm. there's no heartbeat." And I remember just screaming, <laughs> screaming no. Um, and and Asim just just held me, and then the midwife held me as well as I just screamed and cried. Um, and a consultant came in, and, and they took us to another room um, to to talk to us. And I remember just saying, um, "Is it because of this? Is it because of that?" I'd I'd had a chest infection, I'd been on antibiotics. I was like, "Was it the antibiotics?" And they were like, "No, no, we don't know." what it is there's you know but it's nothing that you did it wasn't your fault um and then they just sort of talked me through what would happen so they said we've got a pill for you to take now um come back in two days there's a there's a place called the snowdrop suite where you'll be admitted to um and then you'll you'll be induced from there um I remember asking at the time, why, why can't I have a C-section? Is that possible? It just seemed, it seemed really, I don't know, cruel to have to go through that. And knowing that there was nothing at the end. Mm. Um, yeah. But they explained, they said, you know, it's, we don't want you to have a risk of scar tissue in future pregnancies, anything like that. So, you know, we, we will induce you. And that was kind of that, really. They left us in the room for a little bit. Um, and I remember saying to, to Adam, I said, I just need to phone my mum. Because, you know, she was with Benedict and my dad. And they were, you know, going out for the day. They were happy. And I just thought, I need to tell them. Mm-hmm. So, so I made that phone call, which I think was the hardest part. <laughs> They said, they answered and they were happy and said, oh, we're just getting some food. We're just going for a picnic. And I was like, okay, this is what's happened. Um, and so they agreed that they'd still take Benedict out. They'd keep, you know, they'd take him out for the day while we sorted ourselves out. And so while we went home, and that we'd let them know when we were home and that they could, they could then come back. Um, I guess that just in a way that was helpful because it just gave you guys a bit of space to kind of come to terms with with what was happening with what happened with what you were going to go through and and I guess thinking about what you would tell Benedict as well when when he did come home yeah yeah and I think it was what we needed Um, although I did just want to cuddle him as well that was Mm. the first thing that I wanted to do I just wanted to hold him um but yeah it was it was helpful we had to give us a bit of space um so yeah then I I took the pill um and we went home and we just kind of didn't know what to do really I think we were we were numb but we were in pain as well so we just sort of sat and waited really for them to bring Benedict home um and when they did you know he bounced it and he was all happy and I just remember just giving him the biggest cuddle ever um 
and then later that day we we thought we've got to explain it to him yeah we thought um because he was obviously so excited and we thought i don't want to leave it any longer yeah so we we just sort of said to him said look we've been to the hospital today the baby wasn't very well unfortunately she was poorly and sadly her heart stopped and she died so I didn't want to use any euphemisms. I didn't want to, you know, say she'd gone to sleep, that sort of thing, because he, we knew he needed to be straight with him. You know, he's he's a clever little boy. <laughs> and we just, we just needed to explain it. Yeah. The first thing he said was, don't worry, mummy. We can give the baby some cowpaw. Oh, oh, bless him. And that'll make it better. And we just, because <laughs> in his mind, that's what you do. Yeah. But if you're feeling poor now, you're feeling sick. Have a good dose of that yummy cow, Paul. Go to bed for a bit, you know, and then and then you're all better in the morning. Yeah. Bless him. <laughs> and he just wanted to comfort you as well. Because I mean, he yeah. must have been able to tell that, you know, you know, you were both upset. And yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was just the sweetest thing bless him but we just had to say unfortunately Calpol can't help um, <laughs> doesn't work all the time no <laughs> and unfortunately the baby the baby had died and wouldn't be coming home and he's I think he took it in he sort of was like mm, okay and then you know we, we put him to bed and that was kind of it really would leave it with it with we knew there'd be more questions yeah you know, would have to probably explain it over and over again. But, you know, we'd broken the, the initial news. Yeah. And and I guess, so um, normally, I think, obviously, you, you kind of, you take the pill and then you go and usually two days later. So did you have a sort of day then in between before you went back into the hospital? How did you, how did you spend that, that day? It was a, just a, bit of a blur that day really um we I remember that we we were sitting around the house and we thought I don't know what to do um we ended up just getting in the car and going for a drive um we drove all the way to Harrogate and back um Benedict again was going what are we doing where are we going mummy we were just going we're just going out for a bit um and then the other thing we did was unpacked and repacked my hospital bag so um, taking out all the things that we weren't going to need. So there was obviously all the little first outfits and things like that. Um, and then just working out what we were going to need. Yeah. And when you, when you were in the hospital, did they, did they talk to you at all about what you might want to do after um, your baby was born? Um. I don't think so. Not at that time. Um, that they may have done, but not that I remember. I remember yeah. just getting. And you're just in shock, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember getting the leaflets um, that I think everybody gets, and and reading through those, um, and just looking on online and you know on the Sands website. I think the Tommy's website, um, looking for information on there. But we didn't really get much information at that point 
Okay, so then I guess did Benedict go after his grandparents when you went back into hospital? Um, well, we were that my mum and dad were going to come and stay at our house. Um, so what they'd said was come back to St James's at nine o'clock on the Saturday morning. Um, so my mum and dad were going to come before then and look after him. Um, but in the in the event, I, I woke up. I, I mean, I went into labour naturally. Okay. Um, so I woke up about two o'clock on the Saturday morning. I thought, oh, I think I'm getting contractions. <laughs> Started timing them, but then I thought oh, it'll take it'll take a while. Um, and then my waters broke at three o'clock. My mum and dad live in North Yorkshire, so they're about fifty minutes away. So I phoned them straight away. <laughs> I was like, right, I think you need to come now. Um, so they set off. Um, jumped in the car, set off, got here about 10 to 4. And then um, we got to the hospital about 4 o'clock, I think. Um, one of the midwives met us. She took us straight up to the, the snowdrop suite, um, examined me, said, oh, yeah, I think you're about four centimetres. I was like, okay. <laughs> wow, well, um, okay then. Yeah. <laughs> and then she'd asked, she asked about my birth plan. She said, oh, you know, what, what was your plan? And I'd been following um, hypnobirthing course. So I said, right, well, <laughs> it was nice, relaxed music, candles, birth pool. I, I said, you know, I assume that's all out the window now. And she said, well, of course you can go in the pool if you want to. And I was like, yes, <laughs> really want to. I'd completely just not, just assumed I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, so she said, no, no, that's fine. I'll go and get it filled for you so she went to fill the pool Adam went to move the car into the car park um and by the time he came back I sort of said to the midwife I can something's pushing and she was like what you want to push I was like no something's pushing I'm not I'm not doing anything and um we literally sort of raced to the to the room with the pool which I got it in and then she arrived Georgia arrived about five minutes later Gosh, 5.07 in the morning. Wow. So it was all very quick in the end then. Really quick. Yeah. Two hours from my waters breaking to, uh, to her arriving, which. Goodness. Yeah. And had, had was that similar when you had Benedict as well? Or had you had quite a different experience with that? Um, it was a lot easier and a lot better than Benedict's birth. Um, it was still not that long, but um, with Benedict, um I'd, I'd gone in to be induced um, again, and um, it took about I think I think I was in labour for about five or six hours in the hospital. Um, but then he got into a bit of difficulty, so they had to use forceps and and stuff. So it was a lot more stressful. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it was the, the thing that the thing that occurred to me was that the minute I had given birth to Georgia, and um, the minute she was put in my arms, I knew why um we were putting sorry why they they wanted you to go through natural process Mm -hmm. rather than a c-section because now I look back and I'm so happy that I did go through that because I think I just felt I don't know probably felt a lot closer to her yeah going because you had you you delivered her into the world and even though she wasn't breathing at that point or her heart wasn't beating she was still your daughter and that's what you could do for her as a mother 
that's it. That's absolutely it. So I was I was so pleased that I had. Um, and I still say that she made it she made it so easy for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Not like her brother, he was more trouble. <laughs> oh, and how did you how did you feel when you first saw her and she was in your arms? She was perfect. She was just everything that I'd I'd hoped for, really. Um I was the, obviously we didn't know if she was a boy or a girl, so I was the first one to to find out that, that it was a little girl. Um, I remember saying it's a girl, and then about two or three minutes later, going, "It is a girl, isn't it?" <laughs> asking Adam. I'm not just imagining like, this. <laughs> yeah, like, just make sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was. She was just our little girl. She was beautiful. And had you decided on a name for her before? you gave birth we hadn't definitely decided um we had possibly probably two or three names but Georgia was always my number one definitely what I wanted um and I think it was more the middle names that we we hadn't decided but yeah that was the one I wanted to go for and and it suited her it it was perfect for her so within about five minutes we said yeah (laughs) Yeah, she's a Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) And what happened next? Were you able to spend some time with her in the bereavement suite? Um, And what sort of support did the hospital give you? Yeah, um, so we staged obviously in a little bit um, for a little while in the room with the pool, um, just while sort of they cleaned me up and, and then we, I think we stayed in there for a little while actually. and and because yeah we gave her a bath in that room and um the midwife had a changeover at that point so the Jackie who delivered her went off shift and then another another midwife came in and she was I mean she was fantastic she talked us through all the options that we had for memory making um I remember just saying to her I want it all (laughs) I want everything um and so yeah we stayed in that room gave her a bath we dressed her and once we dressed her we and done some of the handprints hand and footprints we then went back into the into the snowdrop suite and um spent time with her there so um my it, it, i remember on one of your other podcasts actually i remember i think it was chris was it henry's dad saying about including the dads in the memory making and debbie very much did that with adam she um sort of involved him in making the the hand and foot sort of prints and um, making sure that he was very involved, which I thought was, was great. As at the time, I just assumed it was quite normal, but after hearing Chris talking about it, I thought we were probably quite lucky that that she did that. Um, And so, yeah, we got, you know, we got a memory box, we got a aching arm spare, got the hand and foot prints. Um, she arranged for remember my baby to come in mm-hmm. take photographs um she got the um hospital chaplain to come and perform a naming ceremony i was adamant i didn't want anything religious but i just wanted her to have some sort of ceremony so so he did that um she went and found us a little a little printer so we could print off all the photos we'd taken straight away <laughs> oh amazing yeah um and she even got a little, the little name tags that you put around the wrist um, yeah. for a, a teddy that 
a Dumbo teddy that Benedict brought in for Georgia. She put one of those around Dumbo's paw and said, I belong to Georgia. So (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was lovely. Um, And yeah, once we were back in the, in the snowdrop suite, my mum and dad, Adam's mum came and my brother and Benedict as well. Um, Because we weren't sure at the time if we, if Benedict should come or not, mm-hmm. but we talked about it and we thought that he should, and we thought it might be something important for him further down the line. Mm-hmm. So we thought, you know, he'd like to know that he'd met her. Yeah, that she was real, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and he got to give her the teddy. And, yeah. yeah. Because he, he'd also, he'd insisted that we go out and buy that. He'd when I was still pregnant, he said, I want to go buy a present for my little brother or sister. So he'd, we'd done that. He'd chosen Dumbo, so he wanted to bring it in. Um, and we've got the lovely, fo- uh, the most lovely photo of the two of them. He's sort of on tiptoes looking into the cot, and she's just there, and it's beautiful. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really pleased that we did that. Yeah. 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 And we, we stayed with her most of that day, um, I think until about, Maybe it's about five o'clock, something like that, in the evening, um, and then we we came back the next day as well. Mm-hmm. So they let they let um, let us come back for for more cuddles. So they said as long as we needed, really, um, we could go in. So we did that, and I wrote her a letter, put that in a in a Moses basket, um, held her, I rocked her as. Um, <laughs> take that back for good played (laughs) because I'd been to see them in concert when I was pregnant with her she'd done a lot of jumping around in my in my stomach when we were at the concert (laughs) so I thought right I'll play her some music so I sang that sort of played that and sang that to her as I held her um and I think we just took all the photos that we could just took as many as we could because I thought this is it really we're not going to be able to take new ones um it's trying to take a, a lifetime of memories isn't it in just a few hours it is yeah I said that I said we were basically trying just to fill her with as much love as we could in those two days and had you had you thought about or discussed um a post-mortem or trying to find out whether there were you know whether there was a reason that you'd be able to find out for her death yeah um well that on the Actually, on the Saturday, the day she was born, um, some someone came in to talk to us, um, talked us through the, the options. I think there were three options. Um, and I'd, we, me and Adam had talked about it and we said, yes, we wanted to have a full postmortem. So we gave consent for that to, to go ahead. And did you find out anything from that? No, no. Um had to wait. I think it was three months it took for them to to come back with the results, and um, they just said we, we haven't found any reason. Mm. The only possible thing they found, is they said the placenta was a little on the small side. Yeah, but they said you, the placenta grew her to full term. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? Because I feel like sometimes they're kind of grasping at straws to try and, or you're trying to find any sort of little reason, isn't there? That's um, it, because it just seems, you, you kind of want a reason because otherwise it seems futile. 
really or or impossible like how how can she go from being perfectly healthy to you know not being here yeah you know in that short time that's it Mm. just it made no sense at all and the one thing they said to us they said well in a way it's positive that there's no reason because it means it shouldn't happen again in the future which I've just got to got to hold on to that really I suppose yeah. <laughs> yeah and so you ended up having to to go home back to your house which you know you had everything everything ready to welcome baby home what was your experience of grief in those first few weeks like again it was all just a bit of a blur um we knew that we had to keep going really because we had a three-year-old who needed us um because everything we'd been preparing him for wasn't going to happen now. Um, so we thought we needed to keep his life as normal as we could. So the next, he, he goes to nursery two, two days a week. So we thought he needed to go back to nursery. So we took him on the Tuesday, um, explained to them obviously what, what had happened. But we just thought he needed to be with his friends and have a bit of normality. Um, and then on those days, me and Adam just kind of drove to places, <laughs> really. Um, I think we were just trying to occupy ourselves, occupy our minds. Uh, we went to York, Ilkley, Harrogate, just wandering around shopping. Um, one thing, <laughs> I don't know if it's, if this was just madness or grief or what, but um, one day we went to York and I remember saying to Adam, I need to buy another outfit for Georgia need something for her for a funeral mm-hmm. so we we went to Jojo Mammon baby <laughs> which as soon as I walked in I was like it's probably not a good idea <laughs> um but I wanted to buy her something because I'd never bought anything pink or yeah or anything for a girl mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so we went in bought her a little sleep suit and hat and um yeah, decided that's what she'd wear to be be to be, for her funeral. Mm. Um, the days that Benedict wasn't at nursery, again, we just, I think we just wanted to be out the house. Um, so we drove to Whitby um, just to go to the beach, really, write, write her name in the sand. Yeah. Um, we drove up to Low Newton in Northumberland, um, again, like, just a walk on the beach, a three-hour drive each way, but it's my favourite place in the world. So we went up there and, um, yeah, I think it was just our way of keeping busy, really. Mm. Um, And what was the kindest thing that someone did for you in those kind of early months, I guess, following George's death? We were very lucky because we had such great support from everybody. Um, One thing that... um, at the time she was a friend of a friend um that i kind of knew but she wasn't a close friend i wouldn't say um but she'd lost her little girl um shortly after birth so she had a neonatal death um and she sent us a delivery of food um home cooked meals um because you know frozen meals just to have when when we needed she said i wish this is what somebody had done for us um and it was really helpful (laughs) because we just had them in the freezer because 
we weren't really thinking about food or meals or anything like that. So it was really handy just to have them there and be able to just get one out of the freezer when we needed. <laughs> yeah, I think my husband pretty much did all the cooking <laughs> during our early weeks. And it was just literally, it was like, I mean, we ate so much pasta because pasta is like, his, he's half Italian, so pasta is his comfort food. Right. And I think we just ate pasta solidly for about yeah. two months or something. Because it's like, you just can't think, can you? It's just like... It's like, well, what should we have for dinner? I was like, well, I don't know. What do you feel like? I, I just, like, I don't know. No. I just, like, literally, I have, you know, we have lots of food in the house, but I have no concept of what I actually want yeah, to eat. Yeah, I know I have to eat, but, <laughs> mm. yeah. Um, I mean, Adam, I think Adam did focus on that quite a lot. He Because he does normally cook in our house most of the time anyway. So he did focus a little bit on planning meals and things. I think it was just something he could do as well. Um, so, yeah, but. I mean, during that time, we spent a lot of time um, organising George's funeral as well. Then um, that took place a, a month, exactly a month after she was born. Um, and th- we'd initially thought that would be a small service. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, you know, I didn't know how many people would want to come to, to, you know, to a dead baby, to a baby's funeral. <laughs> um, but pretty much everyone we invited came. So we had about 50 people in all I think Uh so our families friends um I hadn't done NCT this time around but I had done it with Benedict and all my NCT group came um my boss my work colleagues just everyone and um just felt incredibly supported by them all um my cousin wrote a poem he said he said I don't know where it came from I never normally do this but I've written a poem um it was gorgeous. And we had that printed onto like the memorial cards that, that we gave out. Um, my best friend wrote a poem as well. Um, and I think it was just that. It was just lovely kindnesses from people like that who didn't really know what necessarily to say, but wanted to do something for us. Yeah, and, they just wanted to be there for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in whatever way they could. Yeah. And did you did you access any um I guess formal support counseling or anything like that? Um yes, I did. Um wasn't till after the funeral, but um it was something that was told or mentioned to us by the bereavement midwife. Um there's a a place in Leeds called Charlie's Angels who was set up by a family when they lost their little boy. I think it was about eight years ago now, and they had struggled to get uh, to get access to bereavement counselling. Um, so they just wanted it to be available when you needed it, pretty much. And I contacted them. I think it was maybe a week after Georgia died, and they came out within a couple of days um, to speak to us. Um, to kind of assess what kind of counselling we'd need. And then, yeah, they said, we'd like you to wait till after the funeral. We think that's the best time to start. Um, and then, yeah, set, set it up for me pretty much straight away after that. Mm-hmm. So, I've, Did you find that helpful? Yeah. Because, yeah. like, processing your grief is, pro- is the wrong phrase, but in terms of kind of working through all this, because you have all these kind of complex emotions and things going on, don't you? And, yeah. and I think a lot of the time you don't, kind of realize that it that it is grief you're mm. like well why am I feeling angry today or you know what what's going on and I think it manifests in different people in different ways definitely um you know I, I did find it really helpful I think it was 
helpful to talk to somebody outside my immediate friend's family as well, someone who maybe wasn't involved and, and could just sort of listen to me and rather without getting upset or without sort of feeling they had to comfort me necessarily. Um, I think that it really helped. Um, and sometimes I, I struggled to say how I was feeling. Like it's this emotion or it's that emotion. And she, you know, she had things like these cards with with loads of different emotions on and sort of looking through those and saying, actually, yeah, this is how I feel today. It's these ones and these ones. And then talking through why I was feeling like that and, Mm. and that sort of thing. So, I mean, she was fantastic. I was still seeing her up until, well, up until lockdown, really until the the center had to shut down. So yeah, she, she was, yeah. Yeah. And we're, so we're just over sort of 10 months on now and that kind of first year is full of milestones. You have the kind of first Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter, six months a year. How have you found these milestone events and which, I guess, which have you found hardest and how have you dealt with that? Yeah, there's, yeah, like you say, been a few. Um, I actually found um, moving from August into September very hard because I think um, we'd been focused on August for so long, for nine months, obviously. Um, and just knowing that we were leaving it without our baby seemed really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, I felt the same about um, about New Year as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave her in 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, just felt like she was even more in the past now, if that makes sense. It's weird because you kind of don't want... <laughs> like time passes and you kind of don't want it to pass yeah. <laughs> and and in some ways the time passing kind of it does make things a little bit easier and a little less raw all the time mm. you know there's, there's kind of gaps between that rawness but at the same time you kind of yeah cling to cling to what you had and yeah you still want to be back in that time when she was there yeah well, that's oh, that's exactly it um six months again that that was that was tough I think because we'd we knew what Benedict was like at that age and so we knew what she might have been like but we didn't know how different she'd be how similar she'd be um what she'd be doing now she'd be starting weaning and that sort of thing so it Mm -hmm. seemed like quite a big step that one um and also 40 weeks and five days um which was couple of weeks ago um just knowing that she'd been gone now for as long as we'd known about her yeah I found that really tough as well yeah Mm -hmm. just seemed to be getting further and further away from us um and I think I was just coping by sort of talking talking to to Adam uh, mostly talking to Adam if I'm honest um and also writing my feelings down um I didn't want to put I didn't want to put too much on social media, but I found it quite therapeutic sort of writing to her and then putting putting it up on there, sort of at those special milestone moments. Um sort of marking significant moments really. Um and I felt that, that has helped. And it's I still do that as well. Um I mean I did it I wrote to her for a funeral as well and read that out at her funeral and I think 
yeah, it ju- it just helps get getting the feelings down on paper. I think really, mm-hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> the big one still to come, obviously. Yeah. Um, Have you thought about her first birthday? A little bit. Um, I think I want. I still do. If we can, I would like to go away and just just the three of us somewhere, and yeah, just be together, really. But. I don't know if we can do that yet or where we're going to be able to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, possibly not south of France, but <laughs> <laughs> somewhere yeah, in the UK. But maybe Northumberland. <laughs> yeah, that would be perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, and I've still, the other thing that kind of ties in with that a little bit is I've still, we've still got her ashes. Um, still not made any decision on what to do with those either. So this time. Yeah, I feel like maybe on her first birthday, we should do something like that as well. Um, but I don't like the feeling of letting her go. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I get that. Yeah, at the minute, she's she's in her... Her nursery is still the same as it was. Um, she's in a Moses basket in her nursery. So, yeah, I don't know if I could let her go. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. We we scattered Sky's ashes, and and I kind of decided pretty soon after you know we kind of left the hospital and stuff that you know I wanted to have a cremation. We're going to scatter her ashes from the Alice guy, like on her due date as it was, so we weren't going to wait that long. And and I did find, and I was kind of quite settled with that for the first kind of few weeks, the first month or so. But as it got closer, I, yeah, I really struggled with that idea of letting her go. Mm. And even on the morning, you know, we went up there. I wasn't, I wasn't sure I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. I, there's, there's no right or wrong. I think, no, yeah, it. you still have time to think about it. And, you know, if it's not this birthday, it could be another birthday, or you might decide that, I don't know, maybe you want to scatter some of them and keep some of them back for something. There's lots of options. That's it. And I I spoke to a friend um, as well who she loves her little girl died. I think it's it's 10 or 11 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And she said, we've still got her with us. So, you know, she said, there's no time limit. No, there's not. She said, we wanted to keep her with us. So that's what they've done so yeah um, it, like you say I, I might wake up one day and be like actually yeah nah, it's it's time now or it might not but mm-hmm. we'll see <laughs> and what's Benedict's sort of perception and awareness of his little sister and do you feel that losing Georgia has changed how you parent him at all um sorry <laughs> it's, it's a hard quite question a, yeah <laughs> I'm just trying to think um I mean, I've been blown away by the way he's he's dealt with it all. To be honest, he's been so he's been more mature than he probably should be. Really, more sensitive um, about it. He he talks about her a lot. Uh, we talk about her with him as well. Um, when we brought the after George's funeral, we brought the Dumbo teddy bear back with us, and we said that it was his job now to look after that. So he goes into George's room each morning and night and sort of gives him a cuddle and says good morning to him, to, to Dumbo. Um, and 
he, he talks about him, like I say, a lot. He'll, he'll talk to strangers or people that we, we just about know about say, so, you know, <laughs> my, my, my Georgia, my Georgia's in my heart. Um, oh, yeah, I, I went to pick him up from nursery one day and his key worker said he had a, he'd had one of the other girls in tears because he'd gone and knocked on the room of the baby on the door of the baby room and he said are the babies in here and she said yes she said, are they sleeping yeah he said oh my georgia is sleeping in my heart oh. and she said that just <laughs> broke yeah <laughs> she's like oh my word um so yeah he, he gets it he, he still talks about is, is did georgia die he, he asks us that quite regularly did she die said, yes darling she died her heart stopped and he sort of thinks about it for a little bit and then moves on with his life or, or you yeah. know with his day um there was one morning actually that we were quite not long after she died and we were sitting having breakfast and he was looking at the end of the table and he kept giggling and I said what are you laughing at darling and he said mummy George is laughing at me so she's watching me eat my breakfast and she's laughing at me and I just sort of didn't know I didn't know what to do I was like oh my word that's I don't know if he's just imagining her there or what he'd be doing with his little sister if she was there and you know trying to entertain her so yeah he's 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 been amazing um I think with regards to parenting him I think that I I'm probably a lot more worried. <laughs> I'm worried about him a lot. Um, just because if that can happen to to Georgia, then could something happen to him? I mean, I know it's a completely different scenario now, but knowing how precious he is. <laughs> so I sort of, I check on him multiple times in the night. <laughs> if I sort of go into his room, check his breathing, check he's okay, come out. A few minutes later, I'm like, oh, I think I'll just check again. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I th- it's I think it's just balancing really the way of talking to him about her, knowing that she she will always be his little sister, <laughs> that he can talk about her as much as he wants, um, and yeah, that he'll always be her big brother. Mm-hmm. As a final question, and if obviously your you know your experience is still so recent, it's so raw. But if there's someone who is newly bereaved and who's going through those kind of early days, listening to this, what would you like to tell them? It will get better. Um, there were, I mean, the, I remember the times, the first few weeks. Those they were dark, dark days. And I remember thinking, like, I couldn't even go to sleep. And if I did manage to go to sleep, I would wake up after an hour or so, just, just crying and crying. And just the pain being so raw. Um, and now I look back at that and think I've come a long way. Because obviously it's still, still emotional to talk about. But there are... You, you know, I would say to someone, you will have good days. You'll have good weeks, even um, when they'll always be on your mind. You're, I mean, George is always on my mind, um, but you will get through the day, and you know, you'll keep going. 
and sometimes you might be able to think of them and it doesn't hurt quite so much. Um, and you'll know that you are, you, you're not, you know, you're obviously like everyone, you'll never get over it, but you will learn to live with it a little bit more. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing George's story with us. Would you like to tell people where they can find you if they want to connect online? Yes, uh, my Instagram is L underscore how. It's E double L E underscore H O W E. Fantastic. I'll include that in the show notes. Thanks so much, L, for coming on. It's Thanks been great chatting to you. And you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of footprints on our hearts please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on itunes you can follow me on instagram at footprints on our hearts and twitter at skies footprints for detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for tommies please visit our website footprintsonourhearts.com <laughs>